Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hello and good morning, Activate Christchurch. Welcome to another Lounge Church Sunday. I want to do a big welcome to our new Lounge Churches this morning. We have doubled our Lounge Churches from three Lounge Churches to six Lounge Churches. So a big hello to everybody that is watching uh, today at Paul and Tracy's house just around the corner from church. A big hello to everybody watching at Hayden and Alicia's house in Aranui. And even out in North Canterbury, we have got a lounge church as well with Gerhard and Rebecca. Hopefully you guys are nice and warm with their big fire, warming the house up. And of course, a big hello to our regular lounge churches. So everyone at Brenton, Wendy's, Dan and Amanda's, and uh, Jason and Micah's as well. And if you're not in a lounge church this morning, if you're just watching from home, maybe you're not feeling well, maybe you couldn't get along to one, maybe you're watching from outside Christchurch, uh, you are more than welcome. It's so great to have you with us today. I'm Josh. And I will be your preacher uh, for this morning. We're going to get right into it because it's on video. I think people's attention spans aren't as awesome when you're watching a video. So the sooner we get into it, the sooner we can get out of it. Open up your Bibles. We're continuing our series on the book of Acts uh, this morning. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We are reading about a man called Stephen, who you would have been introduced to very briefly last Sunday. Steve Forrester was preaching about the choosing of the seven. Essentially, the church pulled together. They grabbed the apostles, you know, Peter, James, and John, and, and stuff. And they said, hey, guys, we've got a bit of a problem. I, I think we could be doing better with the way that we care for the vulnerable people in our society. You know, the widows, the orphans, these kind of people. We could be doing more. And the apostles said, absolutely, that's our heart. That's what Jesus was all about. It's a priority for us. You know, we're probably not the right guys to do it because we've got some real big stuff to sort out. But let's pull a team together and that can be their focus. And so they pulled together this team of seven. And this team of seven is led by a man called Stephen. And so we met Stephen for the first time last week. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 now. It tells us a little bit more about this dude. Season verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is the man. He is the boss. Like, he's legit. Uh, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. Most biblical scholars will say, look, we think this was a bunch of ex-slaves. They used to be slaves. They've been set free. They kind of come together. And for whatever reason, they don't like Stephen. We don't know why, but they got a problem with him. It says this, that Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. This is straight up bunkum. This is not true. This is unequivocally false. They're just making, they're just pulling stuff out of thin air, making stuff up. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses, liars who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Again, total rubbish. None of that was said by Stephen. So how could they have heard it? All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That is pretty cool, right? And next week we're going to get into Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, chapter 7. It's a whole big thing. I don't want to ruin too much, but spoiler alert, Stephen actually at the end of it gets killed. He becomes the very first martyr in the Bible, the very first follower of Jesus Christ to be murdered uh, for his faith. He's an absolute 
amazing man. And we don't know too much about him because there's only a couple of verses. But what we do know about Stephen is magnificently impressive. Look at what it says about Stephen in verse 5. Steve would have shared this last week. After they hired Stephen or you know brought Stephen on to lead the team, it says that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we know from verse 8, which we just read, that he was also full of God's grace and God's power. So Stephen is a man that is filled with faith. He's filled with the grace of God. He's filled with the power of God. And he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's going around bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, performing not just signs and wonders. The Bible says great signs and wonders among the people. I mean, Stephen, I want you to catch this. He's doing the right thing at the right time, in the right place, in the right way. He is filled with the power of God, the Spirit of God, the grace of God. He's got faith. He's just extraordinary. All right, catch this. Right thing, right time, right place in the right way. He's doing what God wanted him to do. He's doing it. Where God, everything he's doing, God's like, I'm all about this man. He's, he's, he is knocking it out of the park. He's hitting a home run here. Most of us, most of us can't claim to be doing that on our best days. You know, a lot of times I think we try and do the right thing, but we get the timing wrong. I heard a pastor talk the other day about the fact that when he was in his early 20s, he just started going to church. He was very young in his faith, you know, pretty immature, had a lot to work on uh, inside of himself, character-wise. And a guy came into their church and pointed him out and said, man, you're called to pastor a church. God wants you to be a pastor. And that's true. God did want him to be a pastor. God had called him to be a pastor, but not yet. And this guy didn't realize this. And so he said, I went out and I was like, hey, I've been called to be a pastor. I'm going to plant a church. And he planted a church and it grew and it grew and it grew and it became really successful. And then it exploded badly. And all of his character failures came out and all of his issues came out and he hurt a whole lot of people. And, and so he's now looking back, you know, retrospectively and he's, he's saying, hey, and he made this statement, which I thought was fascinating. He said, he said, I didn't realize that the calling of God and the timing of God are sometimes two very different things. And that's true. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're watching and you're like, man, I feel really called to this. Doesn't necessarily mean that now is the time. Might be you've got to go back to God and say, okay, I'm called to this, but what sort of time frame are we talking about? And God might say, you know, I just wanted to encourage you. I just wanted to put it on your radar. I just wanted you to know that you and I are going to work towards some amazing stuff. But yeah, not right now. That's, you know, that's further down the line. But not Stephen, right? Stephen is nailing this thing. I think sometimes the mistake that I make is I think I get the last one wrong. I think I'm trying to do the right thing. I think I'm in the right place. The timing's right. But then I do it the wrong way. You know, too much of me gets caught up in it, not enough of God. And I end up hurting people or hurting myself. So that's a real work on for me, like doing it the right way. But again, not Stephen. I want you to catch this. Stephen's doing the right thing in the right place at the right time in the right way. He's filled with the power of God. He's filled with the grace of God. He's filled with the faith of God. He's filled with the spirit of God. Like you cannot fault Stephen. Do we agree on that? I want you to catch it because look at the very next verse. Verse 9 says this, opposition arose. I want to talk to you about opposition this morning because I think uh, this has been stirring in my heart for a while now, probably at least the last year, I think. It's been just sort of bubbling away. I think we've got an issue in the church. And the issue in the church, not just our church, but the church, the Western church in particular I'm talking about, I don't think that we've got a, a healthy theology around opposition and around persecution. I don't think we've got a healthy theology. I don't think we talk about it enough. And because we don't have a healthy theology, I think we don't have any healthy mindset. So I think we've got people in the church, uh, and I'm probably one of them from time to time, and this is where God's been challenging me. Our theology around opposition is wrong, and so our mindset around opposition is wrong. And so the way that we act and the way that we view opposition is wrong. 
It's not biblical. It's not the way that we're called to respond. And so I want to start by saying this. It's a radical statement. Um, but I want to start by saying this. I think that if you're not experiencing opposition in your world, then it probably means that you're not doing what God's called you to do. Or you're not acting the way that God's called you to act. Or you're not standing up on the areas that God's called you to stand up. Because what we know from the Bible, and here's a classic, you know, classic case, physically case, you know, He's doing all the right stuff, and yet opposition arises. And the reason opposition arises is because we've got an enemy. And the Bible makes this abundantly clear. We are in a battle. We are in the fight of our lives. We have an adversary. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Every morning you wake up, you've got an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying your life, killing your relationships, stealing your joy. All he wants to do and see is your destruction. But on the flip side, we've got Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We are in a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We're in a battle between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And we've got to recognize that when we are doing what God has called us to do, opposition will arise. Now, I want to say that I think in the church, I see most people falling into one of two categories. And this is a generalization, and I recognize that. But it seems to be that, that the younger generation falls into one side and the older generation falls into the other side. And, you know, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. He says that we need to speak the truth in love. And here's what I see. In the younger generation, let's just, let's just put an arbitrary number, number on it. Let's say under 40s. And I'm saying under 40s because I'm under 40 today. And so I am in the younger generation. Uh, I turn 40 on Thursday, so next Sunday I'll be in the older generation. So just take a good look at this, because this is the face of someone in their 30s. Next week, you'll have to look at the face of someone in their 40s. There's a big difference, all right? So younger generation, if you are under 40, I'm speaking to you right now. It's a generalization. If you don't feel it applies to you, don't take it on board. But this is my observation. I think the younger generation in church has... In my experience, in my observations, not prepared to speak the truth. I think that we've allowed ourselves, young people, we've allowed ourselves to be shouted down, to be shut down, to be outvoted. We are far too worried about what society sees in us. We're far too worried about what our peers perceive in us. We're far too worried about what other people think of us. We're far too worried about what people say about us on social media. And so when big issues come up, and there have been some big issues that have come up in the world in the last couple of years, I predominantly see young Christians saying nothing. And the reason we say nothing is because we are too afraid of people saying bad things about us. Let's be honest. That's what it is. Listen, you are not called to be liked by everybody. We're going to get into what Jesus says about this in just a minute. But I want to tell you, you are not called to be liked by everybody. You are not called to be moderate in your faith. If people, if people are saying about you, you know what I like about that person? Is that they're always moderate. They can always see both sides. They're all, like that's, sometimes that's great, but not all the time. Right? You're actually called to have opposition rising up against you. And if, if you're not experiencing any opposition, if no one's ever, have, ever has an issue with your stance, if no one's ever pushing back on what you say, if no one's you know, getting stuck into you on social media from time to time, or maybe not social media, that's a terrible example. I hate social media. But you know, in, in life, if you're not aware of people being like, I've got a problem with that person, maybe it's just because you're not doing anything. 
right? You're just not doing anything. The problem with opposition is that it needs something to oppose. You can't have opposition without a position. And so a lot of the younger generation have just gone, you know what? I don't like opposition. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like the idea that people are saying bad things about me. So I will just not publicize my position. I just won't have a position. Then I don't have to worry about opposition. Our younger generation are not speaking the truth. It's a problem. Now, older generation, over 40s. I'm not with you right now, but it will be next Sunday. Here's what I see in the over 40s. Again, a generalization because I see young people doing this and I see old people not speaking the truth. But as a generalization, I see older people speaking the truth, but not in love. And honestly, I can't decide which is worse. Whether not speaking the truth is worse or whether speaking the truth, but not doing it in love is worse. You know, I heard someone say during the week, and I think it's so true, they said you should never speak the word of God unless you're prepared to communicate the heart of God. And I think we do a lot of damage, and, you know, there's there's a lot of publicity around at the moment, people saying different things, churches responding, pastors organizing this or that. I want to really encourage you that if you're speaking the truth without love, Paul says in Ephesians, uh, sorry, Corinthians chapter 13, that you're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what a resounding gong is and a clanging cymbal? It's flippin' annoying. It's obnoxious and it's loud and it just makes people want you to go away. And I think we've got a problem with the church. We've got a bunch of people that aren't speaking the truth and then we've got a bunch of people that are speaking the truth, but they're not doing it in love. And that's a problem. We need to speak the truth in love. And so what I want to do this morning real quick is I just want to try and shift your mindset around opposition and persecution. I want to shift your paradigm around opposition and persecution, because I think that's something that we saw Jesus try and do very early on in his ministry. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn to it, Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. This is kind of like his first significant message. It's very early on in his ministry. That's why it's in Matthew chapter 5 and not Matthew chapter 25. And right from the get-go, this is what Jesus says. He's running through a list of things like, you're blessed if you do this, you're, you're blessed if you do that. He gets to the end of it and he says this, blessed are you. Blessed are you. This is Jesus talking, right? So we're talking red letters in the Bible. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and when they falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Now, I want to emphasize those last three words. That's the caveat, because of me. There's no blessing if people insult you because you're just an obnoxious jerk. Right? There's no blessing. There's no blessing if you're feeling, per I'm so persecuted. Well, yeah, you're persecuted because you've done all these really dumb things and you've gotten offside with everybody. You haven't communicated the truth and love. And there are a whole bunch of people who just miffed at you. There's no blessing for that either. But if you're being persecuted, if you're being insulted, if you've got people slagging you off, slandering you, accusing you of being this or judging you for doing that, and it's because you're manifesting Jesus in your life, there is a blessing that goes with it. If you're speaking the truth, in love, there is a blessing that comes with that. And Jesus starts talking about this in his, in his first significant message. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and when they falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Again, young people, you cannot be liked by everybody. Let's just circle back to my previous point. If you look at your life and you go, I've got no one insulting me. I've got no one persecuting me. No one is judging me. No one is slandering me. No one's saying, I don't like where they're coming from. Maybe it's just because you're not standing for anything. And that's not what Jesus is about, right? He goes on to say, he says, hey, if that's happening in your life, if you've got persecution coming at you, if you've got people slagging you off, if you've got people, you know, on social media saying, oh, blah, 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 it's such a you know, bigot, you know, phobic of this, you know, judgy here, doesn't love people. I thought Christians were supposed to love people. I don't feel loved by, you know, all this kind of stuff that we're seeing just everywhere. 
Jesus said, if that's happening and it's because you spoke the truth in love, if it's because you represented my heart well, that's a good thing. He said, I want you to see this as a positive thing, not a negative thing. It's a positive. You are blessed for this. He said, because this is how they treated the prophets in the Old Testament. This is how they treated the holy men and holy women of God. And we now know, because we've got the New Testament, it's how they treated Jesus. It's how they treated the apostles. And so what Jesus is saying is like, hey, if people treat you the way that they treated the prophets, that's probably a good thing. And I think that's a that's a really good thought, right? Like we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. Disciples literally try and imitate, you know, their, their leader. And so Jesus says, hey, look, I want you to be like me. I want you to love people like I love people. I want you to talk like I talk. I want you to think like I think. I want you to walk like I walk. We're supposed to imitate Jesus as much as we can. Here's the question. How do you know if you're doing that? What are the, what are the KPIs? What are the key performance indicators of a lifestyle like Jesus? Obviously, I think you've got miracles happening. You've got, you know, the spirit of God, the power of God. But one of the main ways that you can tell that you're becoming more and more like Jesus is that the people around you start reacting more and more like the people around Jesus reacted. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're acting like Jesus, then the response that you're getting from the people around you should mirror the response that Jesus got from the people around him. Let me ask you this question. What happened to Jesus? Um, they crucified him. Yeah. And don't try and tell me that, well, it was just the religious leaders and the Pharisees that hated Jesus. Everybody else loved him. Um, no, read your Bible. There's plenty of times in the Gospels where regular people, regular Joe blogs, were like, we've got an issue with this guy. We don't like him. There are a couple of occasions. He gets dragged out of a synagogue uh, so they can kill him. It doesn't say the three Pharisees that were on duty dragged him out while all the people said, no, 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 we love him, save him. No, the whole church dragged him out. Even when he was crucified, it doesn't say the high priest wanted him crucified. The Pharisees wanted him crucified, but the crowd loved him and said, no, no, it doesn't say that. It says the crowd were with them. The crowd was chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was insulted by regular people. He was persecuted by regular people. He was uh, falsely accused of all sorts of things by regular people. I tell you what, I absolutely believe that if Jesus were alive today, there would, he would be a polarizing figure, not just in church and in the religious circles, but everywhere. We see it time and time again. We see it in the apostles' lives as well. So Jesus says, hey, look, if they're treating you this way, you're in good company. And then this annoying thing happens in the Bible where he moves on to make another statement. And if you're reading it in your Bible, it, it, it puts a break in it and it puts a little wee subtitle in it. And it says like salt and light. And so when you read it, your brain goes, ah, this is like a new thing. This is like a new thought. Jesus has changed tack here. He's coming from a different, you know, he's talking about something else now. Your brain says it because the Bible breaks it up. But of course, that's not what happened. When Jesus was preaching, he didn't say, oh, guys, that's the end of my little wee bit about persecution. I'm not going to move into salt and light. So if you're taking notes, just head this up, salt and light. This is a different thing. I'm thinking about, I'm doing something different now. He didn't do that. He's still talking about persecution. And so after telling everybody, hey, guys, be happy when you get persecuted. Be happy when people are insulting you because of me, because that's one of the signs that you're doing the right thing. It's one of the signs that you're, you're in the fight, that the enemy is not happy about what's happening in your world, is that opposition is coming. And off the back of that, he says this. He says, you are the salt of the world. So this is in the context of him just saying, hey, I want you to rethink what your thoughts are around opposition and around people insulting you and around people not liking you. It's okay 
I want to tell you young people, it is okay to have people that don't like you. In fact, it is, it is more okay than having no one that doesn't like you. Again, if you've got no one that doesn't like you, then what are you doing? Like, what are you standing for? So Jesus says this, he says, I want you to be happy when you get persecuted. I want you to recognize that it's one of the signs that you're on the right track. And then he says, because you're the salt of the world. This is why it's important for you to think like this, because you're the salt of the world. What does salt do? It preserves, right? Like in Jesus's day, they didn't have electricity. So no fridges, no freezers. You couldn't go out and shoot Bambi and bring it back. Oh, I just remembered kids are watching. Okay, Bambi's fine. Bambi's great, right? But there was a very bad deer that was trying to eat Bambi. And so that deer got shot, but he deserved it. So you can't go out and shoot the deer, right? That's eating Bambi. And then bring the deer back, cut it up into pieces, and then stick it in the freezer and go, well, we'll eat that over the next couple of months because there's no freezer. So any meat that isn't sort of eaten immediately, it goes off, doesn't it? It starts to decompose. It starts to rot. And so what's, what they were doing Jesus did, they'd take a bunch of salt and they'd rub the salt in the meat and the salt would preserve the meat. It would stop the decomposition. It would stop the rot. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey guys, I need you to have this healthy mindset around persecution and around opposition. I need you to see that it's a good thing, that it's a, it means that you're on the right track. If, you, if people are opposing you because you're speaking the truth in love because of the Jesus inside of you, that is okay. That is meant to happen. That's a good sign. And the reason I need you to think this way is because you've got a job to do. And one of your main jobs is to stop the rot right it's to stop the rotten society to stop the rotten culture to stop the you know the going to hell in a handbasket type thing you know some of these immoral things that we're seeing you know brought out he says look your job is to speak up and to say hey no that's that's not how we're going to do things that's not what i believe that's not what i stand for that's one of your main jobs is to stop the rot he also says you're the light of the world like what does light do light guides people through darkness you get a lighthouse you stick it on you know a coastline and the job of the lighthouse is to guide the ships into the shore through the rocks so they don't destroy themselves on the rocks and jesus said that's your job here's why i need you to have a healthy perspective and a good theology around opposition because your job is to stop the rot your job is to rescue people is to guide people through all of these things that are coming at them that the enemy is throwing at them to destroy their lives bad thinking bad theology bad identity, bad values, whatever it might be. He said, you, you're supposed to guide people through this and you do it by speaking the truth in love. But if you do that, you are going to get nailed. And I want you to be okay with that. It's all right. When he sent his disciples out two by two, how's about this for a pep talk? Matthew chapter 10. Imagine how excited they are. They've been following Jesus for a while. He says, okay, guys, it's your turn. I want you to pair up. Matthew, you go with John, whatever. Andrew, you go with Thomas. Where you go. Hey, guys, before you go, little wee pep talk. It's going to be awesome. And this is what he says to them. Paraphrase. But you can read it in Matthew chapter 10. He starts off by saying, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, to a, a society that was, you know, very heavily agricultural and horticultural and dealt with sheep and stuff, that's a scary thing to say. Uh, what? You're sending us out? It's like, we're going to get annihilated. And Jesus says this. He says, you will be flogged. That's how the NIV puts it. You will be flogged. That means whipped to within an inch of your life. He says, you will be arrested. He says, you will be dragged before governors and leaders. Because they're so unhappy with how you're doing things. And he says this, you will be hated by, not someone, by a few people, by a small percentage. This is what he says in his pep talk before he sends them out. He says, everyone will hate you for my name's sake. 
That is how Jesus prepared his disciples to go into the world. You're going to get slammed. You're going to get beaten. You're going to get dragged before leaders. He, he literally says, to them, he says, when you get persecuted in a town, flee. Flee that town. Go to another town and start telling them about me. And if you get persecuted there, bail on that. Like, this is how Jesus set up his disciples. And we're terrible at this. Right? Here's what I want you to understand. I'm going to finish with this. I want you to understand that, that we are called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Right? But there is already a kingdom here, and it's called the kingdom of this world. We're called to bring the kingdom of light. But there's already a kingdom here, and it's a kingdom of darkness. And when you get two opposing forces that come together, there is always going to be a reaction. One of my favorite things in the world is to sit in the middle of a massive thunder and lightning storm. I just, I just love thunder and lightning. Uh, I, I, I get so excited. We hardly ever get it in crisis, right? But every now and again, we do. But who knows what causes lightning, right? It's when you get a cold front encountering a, a hot front and the two opposites the two extremes there's just a reaction that sparks and you get this incredible display of power with lightning and thunder and um, like I, I love seeing lightning but I love feeling the thunder you know and sometimes because light moves faster than sound you'll see a flash of lightning and then you're, you're waiting and you're waiting and then then the thunder kind of hits and you can tell when you're right under it right because the thunder and the lightning are just sort of simultaneous and and i love it when it's really loud and really big and the house shakes we had a lightning storm out here last year sometime and i still remember sitting on my lounge and looking out across the paddocks and i saw this forked lightning come down not like sheep but like forked came down like way like way in the distance and i was like oh that was i said oh that was a good one i just sit on my couch like look i just love it and then i was like waiting and i was waiting and then the thunder came and it was just like and the, the windows were like flexing in and out and Liz was like oh and I was like yes I was like woo so excited about it you know this idea that you get these two opposites and there's just this collision that's what happens in the spirit it's what is supposed to happen I want you to catch this it is supposed to ha it is a natural occurrence when you take opposites heat Light, uh, heat and cold, you bring them together, bang, there's this thing. When you take the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world and you put them together, bang, you're going to get a reaction. The kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, you put them together, bang, you're going to get a reaction. And I want to suggest to you that if you're not getting this reaction every now and again from time to time, then maybe it's because we're not getting the collision between the two. And it's not because the kingdom of this world is not manifesting here. It's because we're not bringing the kingdom of heaven. And when I look at the life of Stephen... And when I look at the apostles over the last few chapters, and I've talked about this, you know, many times, how many times do you read Peter saying something and you go, man, I wouldn't have said that. that I wouldn't have been game to say that. I, 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 you know, I like this idea that I can kind of play both sides, that, you know, people from both ends of the spectrum can see wisdom and justice and, you know, we kind of like moderate the two and I want everybody to like me. And, and I, I want to tell you something, church, I, I genuinely believed. And again, I just feel in my heart to, to really address young people uh, because, Older people understand this, but young people, you're the future. And, and you're going to grow up. And if you're in your 20s, you're going to grow into your 30s. And you're going to grow into your 40s like I am. And then you're going to grow into your 50s. And we've got to get this right. We have to work out how to speak the truth in love. And recognize that if you're doing everything right, opposition will arise. And Jesus said, hey, when that happens, you're blessed. You're in good company. It's supposed to happen. And it's your job to live your life in such a way that opposition comes. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to stop the rot. You're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to lead people to Jesus. You're supposed to guide them through all of those obstacles. The enemy comes, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
I have come that you might have life. Our job as believers is to guide people to that life through the destruction, through the thievery, through the killing, right? Shine that light on Jesus. Be a salt to the world. Stop the rot. And we can't do that if we're so worried about what the world thinks of us. We can't do it. Stephen, filled with the grace of God, filled with the faith of God, filled with the power of God, filled with the spirit of God, performing great wonders and signs among the people and opposition arose. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, exactly when he was supposed to be doing it, exactly where he was supposed to be doing it, and exactly the way that God wanted him to do it, and opposition arose. When you read through the scriptures, you can't be left with any other takeaway other than the fact that persecution is supposed to be a part of our life. And Jesus said, hey, it's a good thing. It means that you're on the right track. So I want to challenge all of you this morning to speak the truth. And if you are speaking the truth, to speak the truth in love. Don't say anything. Uh, don't use the words of God. Man, I see some people, they're quoting the Bible, but there's no love in it. It's so destructive, right? Don't speak the word of God unless you're prepared to communicate the heart of God. That's my challenge for us this morning. Church, we need to, over the coming weeks and months and years, I think that that church needs to learn how to communicate love to people, biblical love to people, not the redefined cultural love. Uh, and I'll finish with this because I'm out of time. But uh, you know, a thought that I've had during the week is that I think one of the things the enemy has done very, very smartly, very shrewd, the Bible says he's very shrewd, is he's redefined the word love in our vocabulary. Because he knows that Christians are called to love their neighbor. He knows that Christians are called to love their enemies. And he knows that most of us want to do the right thing. We want to love people. And so he's gone, okay, I've got a whole church that's filled with people that are trying to love their neighbor. What I'm going to do is I'm going to redefine very subtly over time what love means. And he's got it now to a point, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where we've so confused love and tolerance, we can't tell the difference. He's got us thinking that love means if I say something to someone that hurts their feelings, or if I say something to someone that offends them, or if I say something to someone that makes them go, oh, you don't see me for who I am, or you don't agree with my life choices, that's not love. That's what he's got the church thinking now. And so we've got a whole generation of young people that don't say what they think because they're worried about being accused of not loving people. The number of times I see on social media or even just in mainstream media, you know, somebody steps up and says, well, I don't agree with this or I don't think they should have to wear that jersey or whatever it might be. And they just get slammed. I thought Christians were supposed to love each other. I thought Christians were about love. How can you call yourself a Christian and act like this? It's just the world trying to tell us we will tell you what love looks like. It's the enemy saying, I will define what love is for you. And then you must live by my definition. And I want to tell you, we can't do it. We've got to get back to what love means. We've got to speak the truth in love. So my challenge for you this morning is to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. Now, closing my Bible so you know that I'm all done. You can talk about that in your groups. I don't have any particular questions. I just want you to talk about, like, hey, you know, how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in love? Am I someone that, you know, do I not say what I really think because I'm scared of someone telling me that I'm a bigot or I'm this or I'm that? Um, you can talk about that in your groups. But one thing I want to leave you with really quickly is what we're going to, you can see I'm sitting on the floor, right? My butt's gone numb. Um, oh, real numb. <laughs> Too much information. One of the things we want to do in lounge churches, uh, we talked about this as a team, and we think this is a great idea, is we want to really start to help people think outside of themselves, right? To get people thinking about their community and the people that they know. And so one of the things that we're going to do, and your, your lounge church leader will talk to you about this in a minute, is I want to issue a challenge to every single lounge church. We've got six of them now. 
And here's the challenge. Between now and the next Lounge Church Sunday, which is the first Sunday in September, it is September the 4th, so you've got almost a month. Between now and the next Church Sunday, I want every single Lounge Church to do something outside of themselves for somebody in community. So not someone in the church, but someone outside the church in their community. So it could be that someone says, hey, I've got a next door neighbor who doesn't go to this church and she needs help with this. Let's go over. Let's let's mow her lawns. Let's do this. Could be something as simple as that. Could be someone says, you know, I've got someone at work that I work with and, you know, his his partner's just lost her job. They're, they're really struggling for money. Can we put together a food parcel for them? You guys decide what you want to do. But here are the rules. Number one, you got to fund it yourself. If it, if it requires investment, like a food parcel, you guys sort it out. That's your job. Um, if it requires time, you guys do it. Okay, it's got to be contained within your lounge church. Uh, other rule is that I want it happening. I want it to be blessing someone outside the church. All right, we've got plenty of opportunities to, to bless each other in the church. I want it to happen outside the church. So between now and the next lounge church, I want you guys to do something for someone outside of yourself. Whatever it might be, you can do whatever you want. As long as you guys organize it, you guys cover it, you guys do it. Uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to report back in the church on a Sunday morning and hear what everybody has decided to do and how it went. And the goal is that we're going to try and do that once a month. All right. Doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be big. Don't stress out. But as well as talking about how to deal with opposition and how to speak the truth and love, uh, let's talk about that as well. All right. Have a great Sunday. Leave you guys to it. God bless. I will see you next Sunday. As a 40 year old, it's going to be awesome. God bless.